Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 240, recorded June 18th, 2016. So this is episode 240 and we're doing issues 40 to 42. Yep. Of DC Comics' first run. Right. Yeah, so we get to see what happens with Mud. The two-parter Mud uh, story will be wrapping up. That's our first comic that we'll be doing. One of your favorite characters. The story that we've all been waiting for. That's what they keep saying in the comic books. I don't think I was waiting, but they say I, I was. I'll be honest. I was a, I, I'm going to spoil something real quick. Yeah. Uh, you know, the whole time they were saying the story that you've been asking for, the story you've been asking for, and I'm like, ah, I don't care. I don't like mud. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then that last page, just spoiler, it, it says that it's dedicated to the actor who played Mud. That he, right. I guess, he recently passed away in '87. Then I was just like, oh, now I feel bad for all the times I was like, I'm not asking for this story. I don't want this story. <laughs> but then when yeah. it was like dedicated to his memory, I was like, oh, well, yeah, they had to do that. You have to, yeah. kind of like what they're doing in the ongoing right now, where they're, you know, doing a very heavy Leonard Nimoy version, Spock. Um, because of Nimoy's passing, right? You got to do it, right? You got to pay homage to the character, the actor who brought this character to life, right? Especially with uh, Leonard Nimoy and the character Spock. I mean, that was, sure. you know, obviously it's a huge character. Uh, Mud, not so much, but still uh, a significant character well, in he, Star Trek. I think he well, might be the only villain to ever show up more than once. Well, what do you mean, I Koloff? Mean, did Koloff show up more than once in the original series? Uh, Kang, definitely. Okay. Yeah, yeah there, but there we, we thought Core did, and he didn't. He, he showed up in an animated episode and a, a regular episode. Wow. So, I don't know. It, it was very rare that somebody came back more than once, so. Yeah. Yep. He does have that distinction. Yes, he does. So, Roger C. Carmel, excellent actor, showed up in tons of things in the 60s and probably the 70s and, and later. Uh, but uh, really good actor. His most famous act. His most famous character, obviously, was Colonel Gum in Batman. Oh, at the original '66 TV show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did. Okay, so he. And was... The reason why that episode is so so important. Why? It's the crossover between Batman and the Green Hornet. Ah. Green Hornet comes into Gotham to help Batman fight Colonel Gum. Oh wow! How interesting. It's actually, not. It's actually a pretty good episode. That is interesting. I did not realize he was a Batman villain. Although I'm not surprised. Like I mentioned, he popped up in uh, lots of TV shows in the 60s. Right. Cool. Cool. So after that, we have a... Uh, is this? It's another two-parter, right? Or no, it's actually just no. two standalone stories. It, it, they're standalone stories, but they, they have a little bit of connection. So an incident that happens in the, in the first of the two uh, kind of... Uh, plays into the second one right so anyway so uh yeah so the, not the best stories we've read uh but not the worst so nope. you want to just jump on in and see see Let's how they it. play out okay so issue number 40 is titled mud's 
magic. Uh, scripter is Lean Ween. Penciler, Tom Sutton. Anchor, Ricardo Vilgran. Letterer, Augustin Moss. Colorist, Michelle Wolfman. Editor, Robert Greenberger. The cover features an army of gigantic wooden soldiers with very frowny faces on the march towards crushing the running Harry Mud, Captain Kirk, Dr. McCoy, Emress, and Spock. Emress fires her phaser at the marching menace with no apparent effect. The Enterprise looks like another Christmas toy in the upper left corner. At the top of the page, the red text reads, Mud's Magic. The story opens up exactly where the 39 left off. Kirk and his landing party come face to face with Harry Mudd in what appears to be his throne room. King Harry says how good it is to see you, Kirk. Kirk is not happy and tells Carrie to cut the baloney and tell him why he has brought them to this planet. Mudd feigns total ignorance. He thought they just dropped by for a visit. Angrily, Kirk explains to Mud how they were brought to Mud's screwball world against their will. No control over their own ship. Kirk grabs Harry by the scruff of the neck and pulls him down off his throne. Kirk tells Harry that he had better release them now or Kirk will start rearranging Harry's internal organs. Cut to the Enterprise Bridge, where Executive Officer Sulu is in command. They are watching a video feed of the proceedings. They can't believe that Harry Mudd is behind all of this. O'Hara reports she still can't raise Starfleet. Their signal is being bounced back as if they were in a big crystal ball. Pavel wishes for a crystal ball and a fortune teller that could give them the answers as to what the heck is going on. In the blink of an eye, the odd alien that the landing party encountered appears on the bridge in a fortune teller's outfit and a crystal ball. The bridge crew is shocked. Meanwhile, on the planet, Harry is spinning a yarn to Kirk and the landing party that explains in a roundabout way how he came to be on this world quite by accident. On the planet, he found what looks like a small floating pyramid in a glowing yellow sphere. It grants him any wish except to be off this accursed planet. He wished for help to get off the planet, and then Kirk and company showed up. Harry's help, apparently. Kirk conjectures at some kind of energy matrix that can transform matter, presumably to entertain the owner. Kirk thinks it's just another super smart machine, but still just a machine. They can outwit it, and they, as they did with the robots the last time Mud got into trouble on that planet where Mud got just about anything he wished for. Hmm, quite a coincidence. Kirk takes a crack at working with the machine and manages to cause the device to create a human female's face that can talk to them. Meanwhile on the ship, multiple members of the crew are discovering that they, like Chekhov, have the ability to make a wish. Mountains of gold and gems, gorgeous Dabo girls, and even an elephant appear on the various parts of the ship. Why would somebody want an elephant? Hmm. Sulu and Chekhov see crew discipline begin to break down, as more of them have their wishes granted. Meanwhile, the captain attempts to speak to the floating female face that now represents the artifact. He uses various forms of logic, including contradictory logic that worked 
on the robots in the Taws episode, I Mud. Unfortunately, the artifact is impervious to this brand of logic. The more logic Kirk tries to throw at it, the more circus acts appear and chocolate medals are handed out. Spock says the artifact may respond to a different kind of logic they have not tried yet. They travel to the remote location where Mud originally found the artifact. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, the top of the saucer section has sprouted castle towers complete with flags. Inside, Pavel and Sulu come across Robin Hood and other curiosities not normally seen on a starship. On the planet, Kirk and company find alien ruins among Mud's tacky little wish town. The hieroglyphics written all over the ruins are not easily understood by Spock. Odd things occur involving human-sized pieces of angel's food cake. Frustrated with Spock's lack of progress, McCoy takes Spock's tricorder and has a go. Almost immediately, he recognizes the hieroglyphics as simple poetry. Kirk takes the retro-looking tricorder from Bones and sees they are nursery rhymes. They come to the conclusion that this is a child's nursery and the artifact is the nanny. Wooden soldiers attack them at the artifact's direction. When Mr. Scott tells it they are not children, Kirk stops them by convincing the artifact they are amused and childlike at least. Spock decides to do a mind meld on the artifact that appears to be 100% machine. Spock finally succeeds in convincing the machine that they are adults. The artifact corrects its mistake by turning everything back to normal and releases them. It also states emphatically that it is alone. Hmm, poor machine. After Kirk takes Harry into custody on charges to be determined later, he has an idea how not to waste the artifact's power. He invites the future version of the Make-A-Wish Foundation to bring terminally ill children to the planet to live out their remaining days delighted by the artifact's wish-granting ability. The end. I love that ending. Well, it's nice. I mean, you know, Make-A-Wish, dying kids, too bad there's still dying kids in the future uh, with so much technology and wonderfulness, but yes. A nice way, a nice way to to you turn the threat into something positive. Uh, right, threat and silliness. <sighs> yeah, it's a pretty silly uh, issue. Right, right. So, I mean, offline we kind of talked about this before, where this story seemed like it was a an amalgam of several uh, classic series episodes. Yep. So. Uh, I thought it was a lot like Shore Leave. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then uh, you thought it was like, um, which, which which one? I'm Mud and Squire of Gothos. Right, right. So a little bit, little pieces of all of that, but I think mostly it's I'm Mud. Mostly it's that. Well, yeah, because he's, he got in trouble, you uh, know, in, in over his head with a, an advanced technology that he didn't understand. Exactly. Right. But with that, the... That uh, wouldn't let him go that... <laughs> I think right. we might have said some of this in the last issue, but or last episode. Uh, yeah, that could take the Enterprise, bring them against their will to a planet, and then they need to figure a way to get everybody out of the place, including Mud. Unfortunately, right? Yeah, it's 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 almost a carbon copy. Anyway, 
Right. But then with the the storybooks coming to life and things like that, that that reminded me of Shore Leave and it's uh, quite so. Yep. And then finally, it, it was a uh, White Rabbit and things like that. Yes. Um, yeah. Those were androids, right? So somehow the androids were able to manipulate manipulate themselves to look like those characters. Or did it say what? what well, was? it's been uh, a while. They would manufacture these things. They never called them androids, but it's all machines. It's not people. Right. I think even the um, that guy in the robe at the end that interacted with them, I I don't think what was he? I don't think he was a a, a living entity. I don't think, but uh, it's been a while. And of course, a little bit of Squire of Gothos, you know. Uh, right. Although, that's probably the weakest analogy of the three. Well, as far as this thing's coming out of nowhere, that's definitely Squire of Gothos. Right, and yeah. I mean, there is no Trelane, but this, it's almost like the Trelane kind of threat is is the machine right anyway and then the machine uh i mean they were trying to trick it and things like that that mm-hmm. that's called back to um imod the well don't they also do it to the what is it the um return of the argons don't don't they have a confrontation with the machine there too? there are multiple times when kirk and his his silver tongue is able <laughs> to uh uh basically Talk computers into submission. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So, as far as the Enterprise being the ship out of all the cosmos that got plucked and sent over to Mud because Mud wished for someone to come rescue him. um, I get it, maybe because Mud has that relationship with Kirk and subconsciously he was thinking of Kirk to help him. And that's why this entity went out and grabbed him. Yep. But uh, when Kirk picked the away team and some people from the away team that he did pick and other people throughout the ship were the ones that actually beamed down, including himself. Mm-hmm. Um, is that ever explained why these six people were picked and, and nobody else? Nope. No, they don't explain that. Right. Although Harry has interacted with most of those people. Um, or actually, maybe all of them, if you count the cartoon. Uh, right, animated well, series. Well, with Moress there, you have to count the cartoon. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I'm not familiar with his episode. Uh, so maybe he hits on her or something, and that's why <laughs> subconsciously he wants her to come pick him up too. I don't know. A little cat fetish, yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, anyways. Yeah. Uh, another thing I'm kind of wondering about. I mean, when I first saw that. Spock was going to mind meld with a machine. You know, this thing has nothing biological to it as far as we know. Um, it seems to be a complete machine. Um, and I think the whole concept of mind melding with a mechanical device is ridiculous. Um, well, it's never stopped him before. Well, I know, but <laughs> it's still ridiculous. Right. So what's an example of that when he mind melded with a machine? V'ger. V'ger, Okay. Okay, so in the motion picture. Right. Oh, that's so ridiculous. Oh, that's so ridiculous. Anyway. Hmm. I mean, really, I mean, okay. So Spock's ability to mind meld is kind of ridiculous in the first place. However, 
he seems to be doing it, you know, minds melding. You know, it's more of a, you know, was he reading alpha waves somehow? Um, right. You know, or, or, or he does touch people when he does the mind meld, so maybe it's something physical. Right. Well, the book's always call- referred to Vulcans as being touch telepaths, right? Right. So you're always like, okay, he has to make physical contact to somehow re. And, and then, you know, the way he positions his fingers on someone's face, supposedly that was their Katra points where he could just ah, get right in there into their Katra mind. points. Okay. Katra but, uh, points. So this yeah, machine when he has a Katra? And with this, yeah, he's just like, uh, I can do it without touching you. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I think uh, anyway, I don't like that. I don't like when they stretch things like that. No, but but they it, they all do it. So you can't you can't blame Lin Win here because no, uh, he's just doing, he's got he's precedent working with what he's got. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Once once you do it once, it becomes canon, and you could do it again without. <laughs> right, handy. So um, so what do you think of the cover? Um, I thought the cover, you know, I, I, given the story, I guess it's fine. It's just, I don't, I don't know. It looks a little bit child. Well, it is childish. So you got the big, uh, green and red wooden soldiers with frowny faces. Right. Uh, you know, kind of a ridiculous and they're like Godzilla sized. So they're big. They're really big. Or the crew and them are really small because you see like the crayons and stuff beside them are as big as people. So Well, uh, okay. So you're saying they shrunk down the crew or the landing party? For this cover, yes. (laughs) Okay. They got the shrink ray from, you know, Rick Moranis. They shrank them. All right, we're going to take the picture now. So. And then uh, re-unshrunk them. Now. Perspective is important on what we're seeing too, but there is an enterprise up there in in the frame, right? Um, so they shrunk the enterprise down too. Uh, no, that's just a toy of the enterprise. Like that oh, that's ball. not the real enterprise. No. Okay, well there you That'd go. Be ridiculous, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll be honest. So 1987, 88. That's when I really got into comic books and Star Trek comic books mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. So I remember, you know, going through the back issues of uh, Star Trek and, you know, this being only a few months old by the, around when I was really getting into it mm-hmm. and me not ever picking this one up because it just looked too silly. I was like, oh, I don't, that one looks really silly. I'm going to skip that. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I ever read it until, until we did this episode. Mm. But I've read some of the, you know, I've read most of the ones before and, and most of the ones after, but for whatever reason, this this cover always turned me off. Yeah, I could see that. So, you know, they say don't judge a book by a cover. You did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> For thirty years, I was judging this book by its cover. Uh huh. And and now you were totally wrong, right? Uh, no, the book seems to follow the cover pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When you have the Enterprise with castle turrets and stuff coming out of it uh, yeah yeah there's some funny business going on exactly speaking of funny business um when spock and then mccoy and then kirk are trying to understand what the hieroglyphics are on the ruins of the alien society or or the poetry or whatever uh the nursery rhymes yes um spock is using a kind of retro looking tricorder 
I mean, from some angles, it looks like a Taz tricorder, uh, you know, black with the leather strap on it, all that kind of stuff, um, which they use different designs in the movie franchise uh, when they got to the movies. And uh, it didn't look like an old black Taz tricorder. But wait, from some angles, it doesn't even look like a Taz tricorder. It's got these like, instead of controls that we're normally used to seeing or a flip top, um, it's just got like three simple kind of hot pink, uh, red, whatever, uh, squares on the face of it. Uh, those are supposed to be buttons. It's supposed to be a display. I don't know, but you know, it, it doesn't look like any kind of tricorder I've ever seen before. So I thought that was kind of disquiet. Well, it kind of threw, it took me out of it. You know, I was going, I was going with it thinking, Hey, this is really realistic. And then they show a tricorder like that. It's just ruined it for me. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, it, to me, it looked like, uh, you know, like a baby toy or something, you know, the the ones that have the really giant buttons and you push it and right and a monkey comes out or something <laughs> that's what it looked like yeah. <laughs> but you're not going to talk about how mccoy was able to just look at it and figure out that it was poetry and oh that's ridiculous nobody else yeah. could either yeah that's ridiculous man how, how are you supposed if, no to be honest uh I, they didn't go this way but i was thinking what if in the back of mccoy's mind he was like you know what i wish i could solve the day one day <laughs> and then <laughs> The, their nursery rhymes, Spock. Well, I'll be darned. You're right. And then, <laughs> and then it's really all just the thing granting McCoy's wish that he wants to <laughs> wants to figure it out one day. He wants the last word. One of these. I sure days. wish I could show up, Spock, one day. Exactly. Him and his logic and his tricorder. Yeah. So what if that? What if that's? What if that's the way it's supposed to be read? Uh, maybe. Mm-hmm. An extra layer there that I didn't realize. Yeah, this this is a deep story. Very deep, very deep. Um, I have one last comment. Ooh, okay. At the end, when Kirk came up with the idea of bringing uh, dying children to the planet so that the um, artifact could work its magic, uh, I was thinking to myself, ah, uh, you really know enough about this artifact to start bringing terminally ill children to it and just allowing them to have any wish they want? I mean, who knows what kind of wishes could happen? Or, you know, you really don't know this artifact all that well yet, Kirk. Um, I was a little put off by that. Or or the possibility of that entered my mind anyway. Right. Um, well, I mean, you, the thing seemed like it was wouldn't allow anybody to get hurt. I mean, because even when people were falling great distance, it always made sure there was a, a, a nice pillow. pillow to fall into. Big fluffy giant pillow. Yes. So, uh, I mean, unless they're wishing that their teachers were dead or something like that. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know what? I mean, come on, let's be honest. If if this thing did exist, wouldn't the kids just go there and say, like, I wish I was healed? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, probably. And then could it could it like like the Telosians, could it give them the illusion that they're healed and not uh maimed or, you know, um suffering in, in any kind of way, kind of like what they did with Pike? Yeah. Well, I'll take it even further. This thing had the power to take the Enterprise that's many light years away and bring it to that planet. Who's to say it can't actually cure them? Right. It's like, "Oh, 
well, we didn't think of that. Oh, okay, that works too. <laughs> yeah, people show up. I wish I was young again. Boom. Never did. Never going to get old. Huh? There you go. But you can uh, never leave, right? Once you make a wish, you can't leave? Or uh, Well, I certainly... Were, were they ever clear about that? No, 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 no. That, that, that would muddy up the, uh, the nice bow that they were tying at the end of the story. Right. You got to have a nice resolved situation. Yeah. Dissonance in the first act, challenge in the next two acts, and then wrap it all up in the fourth. And they did it. Uh, they always do. Or almost always. <laughs> so the, uh, my last comment is uh, that on that last page, you know, for the most part, the artwork's pretty good. Um, but for whatever reason, on that last page, uh, there's somebody else sit, standing in for Leonard Nimoy. There, oh, right. That is not him. And there's close and there's close ups too. Yeah, it's a close up and a profile, and it's it's somebody else, like maybe Frankenstein almost. Well, yeah, I mean you can tell they're trying to do Spock, but, well, but because he but has ears. True, well, true. Uh, the the face does not look greatly like uh, Nimoy, right? But aside from that, I thought I thought the artwork was always pretty consistent with who they were. Yeah, yeah. You know, McCoy definitely looks younger than. Than uh, DeForest Kelly did at that time, but I'm not going to fault him with that one. Don't. And Scotty might look a little lighter here and there. So I- I'm all for you know the comic books being uh, you know I wouldn't want to say glorified versions of them, but you know uh, I- idealized versions of them, right? As opposed to photorealistic. Yeah. It is a comic book after all. And that's fine. You just don't want to go too far into the gold key hit territory. Where you <laughs> or they uh, recognize them. Or Star Trek uh, or Star Trek the Next Generation miniseries, that first one where they're all like Oh Superman, super muscular. Superman yeah. muscular Right. Wow. Especially Picard. <laughs> I mean Picard looks like one of those uh, you know, those people those Charles Atlas guys or something that can kick anybody's butt. That's not that's not Picard. I don't know. Did you see first contact? I don't know. Once he once he got that shirt off and he was hanging around with the queen, he, he looked pretty buff. Well, for Picard. <laughs> All right, I, I do have one more comment, and then we'll go. Uh, but the uh, the entity showing up as a little floating pyramid, pyramid or whatever yeah. uh, really reminded me of um, the first story arc or the. One of the first story arcs of Marvel's um, Star Trek, the motion picture era uh, storyline where, um, well, let's see, what was it? It was um, Ensign Rand had married that little being that was in that oh, giant, right, right, that right, pyramid. Right. And it could also kind of like warp reality or whatever, especially since they, it was, they were trying to kind of like do the, um, where no man has gone before, where they kind of trying to go through the barrier and then came back and he had powers or whatever. I can't remember the specifics. But when I first saw this and all this crazy stuff was happening, I was like, oh my goodness, are they bringing that in? I mean, because it's a different publishing company and I would have been really surprised, but I would have been really happy if they would (laughs) have. Oh, you just love to tie these things together, don't you? I do, I do. I do. I don't think so. I don't think so. Oh, no, it's definitely not. (laughs) This is just... uh, what if this is Trelane's babysitter? Now that now that you brought that up, what if you know 
Well, he needs a babysitter, darn it. Well, maybe that's why he's on his own planet, because he couldn't behave with the other kids. So he took him to his own planet. He became Squire. He got himself a mirror. A mirror right. machine that would do things for him. And uh, Although, if you truly are a Q, you don't need a machine. You gotta, you gotta forget that part. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was a little retro. Or retconning. Is that Ret- the... Retconning, yeah. There, there you go. Alright, shall we move on? Let's do it. So this is issue 41, came out in August of 87, and is it entitled, What Goes Around? The uh, writing staff's a little different, so I'll go through all the credits. It was uh, pencilers Tom Sutton, inker Ricardo Villavin, Augustin Moss was the letterer, colorist Michelle Wolfman, Robert Greenberger was the editor, and they were introducing Michael Carlin as the writer. So Lin Wynn is no longer on the, on the book, at least for now. So the cover has some space pirates entering a ship through a hole breach. And they are blasting or smacking around some poor little aliens that are inside. Through the gaping hole in the ship, we can see the Enterprise firing on the pirate ship. Uh, And we can actually see that some of these uh, alien space troopers are repelling from it. So once the story starts, it uh, looks like it's an exact continuation from the cover, just without the Enterprise. We find out that it is Orion pirates that are sending the troops into the alien ship, but again, they are repelling through space, through a a hole breach in the the alien ship. Uh, The pirates eventually make their way to the bridge, and they start smacking around the captain as he's trying to broadcast a distress signal. Meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, Bearclaw and Conum are sparring in the gym. And for some reason, every single staff member is there watching. Bearclaw is able to beat the Klingon. But instead of helping the Klingon up in a sportsmanlike manner, he kicks the down Klingon in the teeth. Chekhov is outraged, and he wants to fight the Ensign right then and there for his behavior. But Kirk stops it. Kirk tells the men that... Bearclaw is actually going to start reporting to Chekhov and joining his security staff. Back in engineering, Scotty turns the engines off, or somehow shuts down the power, so that he can perform some maintenance in a Jeffrey's tube. The ship will be at limited power until he is able to finish. Suddenly, the ship is at yellow alert due to the distress call from the aliens earlier. Chekhov and Bearclaw arrive on the bridge, and Chekhov allows the hothead to man the security station. The ship warps to the location of the crisis, using up the limited power that Scotty had warned Kirk of since he still has not had a chance to repair the ship, and he cannot return the power until he does. Once at the alien ship's location, Kirk finds the Orion ship towing the alien craft. The Orion leader proves that he means business by showing that he has hostages aboard his ship with disruptors to their heads. The captain demands that they back up. Kirk agrees, and Bearclaw openly complains about this action. Kirk contacts Scotty for some options. Scotty informs him that they still only have the limited power, and to whatever they do, not fire the phasers. Kirk orders Scotty to start using the remaining power for the deflector shields and the transporter to start transporting the hostages off the the Orion ship. Scotty warns his captain that this might just be too much, but he starts to work. 
the Orion captain thinks that Kirk is departing a little too slowly, so he starts to fire on the Enterprise. The deflector ships are holding, but just barely. Scotty starts to beam over the alien hostages six at a time. All the while, Barclay is on the bridge complaining that they need to return fire. Even though everybody keeps telling him, you can't do that. The Orions watching the hostages are really stupid. And they run to the captain reporting that somehow everybody's just disappearing. The captain also seems amazed by this. But seeing that all his leverage is gone, he orders a full attack on the Enterprise. As the Orion ship fires on the Enterprise, Bearclaw just cannot restrain himself anymore and he fires back with the phasers. This completely overloads the Enterprise, which now loses all power, even to the shields. But luckily, the phaser blast completely cripples the Orion ship. Scotty is appalled that Kirk would order phaser fire after he told him so many times not to. He then rushes into the Jeffrey's tube to perform this maintenance once and for all. He's able to do it, but he's severely shocked in the process. Once the ship is back at full power again, Chekhov beams over to the Orion ship and apprehends the pirates, and Bearclaw is ordered to his quarters for disobeying orders, even though Bearclaw thinks that he was the hero of the day. Scotty is rushed to medical, but he soon recovers while they are en route to the starbase. Kirk allows Chekhov to be in charge of Bearclaw's punishment, but warns that his leniency will not happen again. As Scotty is leaving medical, still shaky and very upset that Bearclaw caused all his injuries and is getting away scot-free, as he's leaving, he finds that Bearclaw has been assigned to guard sickbay. Seeing his chance, Scotty rushes up to the much younger man and punches him in the gut, knocking the man to the ground. Scotty walks away feeling that he's taught this cocky little guy a thing or two. The end. Hmm. Well, um, I think it is great that it finally took Scotty well, it's not absolutely great, but it's great that Scotty finally cut through the BS and slugged Bearclaw right in the gut and brought him to his knees to teach him a lesson. Ugh. With some people, that's what you got to do. Really? That's what you've had to do a time or two? Oh, more than once. Sometimes you just got to take the uh, wind out of some people's sails. Literally like that? Literally. Knock the wind out of them? Knock the wind out of them. Ugh. Oh. oh. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I've never done that. But uh, <laughs> they drew Scotty that he did it real good. I mean, he really put everything into that gut punch. Yeah. Well, he's he's been known to have a brawl or two. Uh, apparently. Apparently. Definitely when it comes to Klingons and the, and the, and the pride of the uh, ship. <laughs> right. Don't talk bad about the Enterprise. Exactly. Or zap, allow him to be zapped in the uh, Jeffrey's tube. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, you can say crap about the captain, but don't say anything about the ship. <laughs> so, um, in regards to that, uh, that that scene, which I really did like, mm -hmm. um, I also liked in the scene where, you know, when McCoy and Scotty are walking out of sick bay, they see him, and they even say, why are you here? 
And he's like, I don't know. I was just told to guard sick bay. And then that's when Scotty just rushes up there and gives it to him. Right. But uh, I like to think that um, Chekhov, you know, being in charge of his punishment, you know, uh, to the outside world, he's like, all right, you get a warning. But inside, he's like, I know that he's going to be on Scotty's bad list. I'm going to put him so that Scotty sees him as soon as possible so that Scotty can take care of the punishment. (laughs) (laughs) You really think Chekhov figured all that out? He knew what Scotty was going to do. I do. I I question that. However, uh, that would be very clever (laughs) of Chekhov getting Scotty to do his dirty work. But uh, yeah, okay. Anyway, I mean, it's it's because uh, only because they had that line. What are you doing here? I don't mm-hmm. know. I was assigned to watch this this spot. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, I think Chekhov told him to do it, knowing <laughs> that he was going to get the old gut punch. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I find that difficult to believe, but why not? Why <laughs> not? Well, it's a better explanation what they gave. Which I mean, is what? Which is there is no. <laughs> I just told me to be here. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, that it, so they just they had to have him there. They had to position him there, uh, and they did. And they didn't bother explaining. Like sometimes in stories, when you're writing a story, you need to get people in certain places so that something can happen. And uh, sometimes you don't do a great ex- job of explaining, or don't bother explaining at all, like this. Or this, I thought they did a great job explaining. <laughs> They didn't explain anything. They gave you, you just eno- made that up. They gave you enough information that you knew that you why he was up, there. You could make up an unlikely scenario. Okay. No, that was it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Lean, you are clever. It wasn't Lean anymore. It was the the new guy. Oh, I'm sorry. Good point. But uh, overall, uh, I Michael out of out of the three books, I think this one was my favorite of this of these three. Well, we did today. Okay, yeah, uh, I'd probably agree. Oh, wow, that was easy to convince you. Well, I wasn't crazy about the first one, and I think the third one I liked the least, so I guess by default, no, I'll agree with you. No, the the first one was the worst. Ah! Too silly, too silly. <laughs> uh, okay, I think the next one's pretty silly, too, but... All right, so uh, let's talk about this one, though. So we have Orions yes. that are not the typical green color that we're used to. No, they're to. not. They're, they're like what, pasty white. Right. And they're, they're like thugs. They're just big, dumb thugs. Dumb being the ultimate, ultimate word there because how do they not know about transporters? Good I mean, question. These are Orion pirates. They, They've had interactions with the Federation. Yeah. Yeah, for a long time, right? I mean, they were even back during Pike's time. Pike's so it's day, at least yeah. you know, 20 at, years. At least Orion Slave Girls. So you assume they were dealing with everybody. Right. Or at least the male half of the species, too. But Right. So, yeah, I don't know why these guys are like, Captain, they're just gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just uh, it just reminds me of a gold key move. Right. You know, we really, now, we really haven't really actually watched any episodes, so we'll just this is what we want Orion's to be. Now, I did love the the way they boarded the ship. I thought that was actually 
kind of cool. I mean, it, it, it didn't make 100% sense. No. Uh, but you think, well, they have the shields up that, that stops transporters and phasers, but would it stop uh, these, uh, these just... Aerotroopers. They're like aerotroopers. Yeah, exactly. And they just so, blast their way in and start shooting. Yeah, so they got these big, bulbous, uh, brown outfits, space outfits... Uh, that almost in some scenes look like they they're it's big and bulky in the back, like it's got a parachute kind of thing. But it's a jetpack. Well, and, and most of them have no indication that there's a jetpack involved. They look like they're tumbling in space, like a bunch of uh, parachuters. But you are right. There is like on the first page, there is a thing where there's two little, very small red, what looks to be jets, coming out of the back of one of the backpacks. So yes. Okay, I'll I'll buy that. That's what it's supposed to be, or that's how they're explaining it. But they look like parachuters, which right. is amazing because there's no gravity. Hello, you're in space. Well, yeah. I mean, at least in the cover, they have those like guide ropes that it seems like they're that they're rappelling down. Yeah, but well, uh, yeah, that yeah, there seems to be something. Yeah, that kind of thing, which there's no acknowledgement of that kind of thing in the book. Uh, in the book, yeah. right. They're just tumbling free in space and for some reason going right for the uh, the cargo ship. You know, I didn't notice this before, but it looks like when they they blast the hole in the in they blast the hole in the hull mm-hmm. and everybody is getting sucked out. And then it looks like the Orions are shooting some sort of like grappling gun into the into the, the bulkhead. Yes. And reeling themselves in, in through yeah. the, the wind that's being blown out. I yep. didn't notice that until just now. That's actually a really nice little detail. Yeah, yeah. That's not bad. Only you look at some of these. So there's like red grappling hooks. So they right. show the red grappling hooks in the uh, in the walls. At least I think they're walls. Right. Um, but then the other end of the lines in multiple instances, don't seem to be going anywhere. They just kind of end in like a, a little... Uh, like, 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 like a ski rope thing. Like a yeah. ski rope, a handlebar kind of thing. And there's no one attached. Yep. I mean, on the... Well, whatever. I, I guess we're looking at the same panel. Yeah, that we are. Yeah. Well, it's a nice attention to detail, but then you're right. It, it, it doesn't quite... It doesn't quite, quite make sense, because they should have the... The, the alien attached to the the ski rope part. Yeah, and quite frankly, if I were some of those, uh, you'd be grabbing you know, cargo for it. ship cargo ship people that are blown around and being sucked out. I'd be grabbing some of those uh, Orion lines that are just sitting there, right, unused. Anyway. Mm. Well, speaking of those poor aliens that are yes. being sucked out, uh, yes, it's a very motley crew of aliens. Very you? motley. I mean, some of them are so oddly drawn. Um, I, they look like something out of Alice in Wonderland or something, especially the captain. Yeah, so the captain has like a very short um, upper arm, but then a really long lower arm. Yeah, that's true. That looks odd. And he has a very long neck and a little very tail. Long. I mean, he's, he's an interesting looking dude. Yeah, humanoid, but almost in, like almost partially insectoid. Right. Sect characteristics, but there's no two characters that look the same. Every every member of that crew is a completely different species. It looks like I, I agree with that, and it really reminded me of like uh, like in the '80s when Gremlins hit it really big, 
oh. uh, the movie Gremlins. Mm-hmm. Then they just started pumping out all kinds of little creepy, creepy type critter movies. So there was right. like, there was one actually called Critters. Yes, there was. There was one called, uh, you know, Ghoulies and Trolls and, yeah. you know, any type of weird little creature. And they all kind of the same thing, these little creatures that, that kill a bunch of people. Right. This this comic book really reminded me of those kind of shows. Just like, you know, what if all those weird 80 creatures were in the same story and kept in, and flying a ship around? I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. I think it was good execution. On the drawings. Right. Except for, the, you know, I don't want to be racist or anything, but I like my Orion's green. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> consistency. Not, these, you yeah. Know? These might be Orion's from another continent. I get it. Well, oh. come on. Mm, yeah. Well, Orion's are supposed people, to be People green. are different colors. I know. I get it. Human Humans from Earth are different colors. But right, right. I get I, it. I agree with you. I like my Orion's green. <laughs> Okay, so I'm kind of wondering, um, when exactly did Scotty become a captain? Uh, he's a captain of engineering. Well, uh, okay, that's a little bit more acceptable, but not much. So he, he's chief engineer. So, you know, he's and, – and maybe he becomes a captain later, we find out, actually in uh, a Next Gen episode. Right. Relics, was it? Um, Relics, yep. That's so cool. that's cool, but I in the movies I don't remember him ever becoming captain. So I'm kind of put off how this one's calling him captain, and maybe I just missed something. But right, no, I agree. It was it was uh, odd. Yeah. Okay. So it's not just me. And, and uh, they and they keep bringing it up. It wasn't like a one time thing. He, he even calls himself. I think it's in the next issue. Where he calls himself captain of engineering, like that's a like that's a position, like that's a formal position. Now that could be slang or something like that, but I don't think that's a formal rank. Right, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Sulu became captain, and Spock became captain. Well, Spock's uh, a captain uh, now. Yeah, yeah. Right. Sulu's right. not. Well, okay. Not in this. Not okay. in this position. I'm just, just saying, saying at some point. At some point. Yes. And if you really want to go, you know, in some of the expanded universe stuff, um, I didn't check off become a captain at some point or something. I mean, you know, yeah. depending upon the story, it's like even Uhura probably was at one point. But well, Sulu, Sulu became president of the Federation or something. At some point. Oh, really? I yeah, didn't know that. There was an episode of Voyager when a flashback of when Chakotay was a boy and they talk about President Sulu. <laughs> I right. do not remember that at all. Yeah, so I mean, there is debate whether they're talking about Demora or they're talking about ah. Sulu, Sulu. But uh, it's interesting to think that well, they, you know, they would have had careers after Star Trek Six. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Interesting. And then in some expanded universe, uh, Ahura became uh, head of Starfleet intelligence. Yeah. Well, right. Wasn't there a comic that had both Ahura and Sulu doing some kind of uh, covert missions? Uh, yeah, Spy kind of missions. Yeah, yeah there was. Mm-hmm. I think that was a that was DC Comics, right? Uh, I probably. probably. Yeah, because she had, they, it was like her boyfriend or something, or her ex boyfriend or something was the Pirate King or something like that. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Good point. 
Okay. All right, so c- can I mention my characterization of this story that I really, really did not like? What? So Bearclaw, always a jerk. Yes. Always this racist. You know, he's always been a very bad character. Not, yes. But he's never been evil, right? He always no. acts like he hates Conom and other aliens like the uh, Andorians and things mm-hmm. like that. But when push comes to shove, he always does the right thing, you know. Well. <laughs> he could have he could have let the Andorian die, but because it's not the right thing to do, he saved him, you know. So here he's presented, you know, still he's a hothead, still he's racist, but he doesn't have that little grain of good in him anymore. So it's like he beats Kling, he beats the Klingon in hand hand combat and then just kicks him square in the face. Yeah. I mean that's I don't see him doing that, especially in front of everybody, Uh, because everybody's watching it. Well, he just doesn't care in this comic. Right. And then he's been told by the captain, don't shoot the phasers. Just sit there. Wait for my orders. (laughs) And he's just like bad mouthing him throughout the whole thing there to everybody on the bridge. And then he just does it anyways. Yeah. Uh, I was like shocked that they would go that far with him. And then he gets no reprimand. He should be sent back to... uh, Sent back to Earth. I mean, that that should be a court-martial offense right there. Not just a... Well, I'm not sure about court-martial, but certainly, uh, you know... He disobeyed orders. That's, have, him that's clean, have him clean in the toilets uh, on some star base somewhere. You know, yeah. uh, get rid of him. Sorry, he doesn't deserve to be on the uh, flagship of the Federation. Sorry. No. no. No, I thought that they were going to somehow, especially with that Andorian security chief that he had to work with for a while or whatever right. it was, you yeah. know, kept talking about this glimmer of hope in him and that I thought, oh, they're going to build up his character and he's going to redeem himself, but they're not doing it now. Now they're just like, he's the worst character ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's a loose cannon. He's a loose cannon. And I will also say that the first time we meet him in the, well, I think it's like, was it the first issue? Yeah, it was issue uh, one. Yeah, so he was the villain. I mean, he was the villain, and I don't remember there being anything nice about him in in that early issue too. I mean, he doesn't he hit Bryce? Yeah, they have a fight. They have a fight. He hits a girl. I mean, that's and for pretty poor reasoning too. Uh, so, uh, I, I think he was likewise painted as an irredeemable character in the first issue. But in between there and here. Yeah, the, it it varies. I mean, there's a part where Bearclaw, you know, when they're getting back on the ship again, um, everybody's getting back on the Enterprise, and you know, uh, after they've been on the Excelsior for a while, or some of them have, and everybody's getting back together on the Enterprise. Um, Bearclaw and Conum and Bryce, they all meet in the starbase, right? And they all seem kind of chummy, right? So, I mean, there's a part where, where Bearclaw is like, oh, he, he must be a nice guy now. Or at least he got the stick out of his butt. <laughs> but no. And anyway. No, I agree. That's funny. Well. All right. All right. So any more, any more in this one? Mm, not really. Not really. Can I just really quickly talk about some ads? Oh, sure, please. They have some cute little ads about... Uh, uh, oxy oxy clean for your uh, pimples and stuff oh, yeah right so they have these like little cartoons where it shows like uh, it's 
like almost like it's a dictionary where they're given like these stupid names for acne. So mm-hmm. like there's one called paperback knee, you know, yep. the kind of acne you want to hide behind a book. And uh, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, usually I would just skip over that. But for whatever reason, I caught one of them and they keep putting them in several of these issues that. Uh, so now I'm kind of like looking forward to seeing that uh, that page of the, <laughs> the Oxy 10 commercial. Yeah. It's kind of uh, cute. Yeah, and this particular one is titled Zittles. Right. I, I thought I just want to throw that out there. I thought it was funny. And yeah. then lastly, uh, they do have an ad for Dungeons and Dragons, the role playing game mm-hmm. for the basic rules. Yeah. Uh, this this is the uh, that's the one that I bought way back when because I was going to be a dungeon master. I was going to figure <laughs> it all out. <laughs> I still I don't think I've ever played a real game of Dungeons and Dragons in my life, but. Oh. Uh, was it from lack of trying back when I was a young lad in 87? Well, um, when I was in college, uh, for a summer, I was a camp counselor. Uh, kids camp. And the kids there were playing Dungeons and Dragons, so I joined them on occasion. So that's where I learned it. Not that I played that much, mind you, but it was interesting, uh, at least learning it to some degree. The kids hmm. were very patient with me. It was very nice of them. Yeah. yeah, I've never played. Maybe maybe one day I'll I'll get around to it. There you go. It looks like fun. Well, in the days of computer games and everything, um, yeah, and and tablets and phones with games and everything, a good old fashioned role playing, roll the dice, board kind of game, or a, yeah, I think we had a board. Um, that's so retro, <laughs> right? Um, it's cool. It's it's. Nice. You don't have to, you don't need electricity for it. That's great. Anyway. All right. Move on to the next one. Let's do it. All right. So the last one for this episode is issue 42. It's titled The Corbomite Effect. Writer, Mike Carlin. Penciler. Well, everybody's the same. So I'm not going to repeat everybody's name again. The cover features a female crewman in trouble outside the Enterprise. During a meteor shower, she is... She, in her spacesuit, is hurled from the ship with her tether broken, free from the ship. Blue text at the top reads, Sabotage or Gremlins? The last duty shift of the day is nearing its completion aboard the Enterprise when an unexpected meteor shower hits the ship. Commander Kubak, who looks like a dinosaur or maybe a Gorn, is at the con. He asks for deflector shields. Mr. Grosden reports Helm is not responding. Kirk gets to the bridge and is able to get the deflectors up with ease. But that was not working a few minutes ago, Commander Kubak protests. Kirk has faith in Kubak and the other bridge officers, so he asks Scotty to double-check the major repairs done recently for the root cause of the temporary Helm failure. Scotty was rushed into completing those repairs, so he admits to the possibility of more work being required and gets to it. Back on the bridge, Kirk is taking an incoming transmission from UFP HQ, United Federation Planets Headquarters. The president of the Federation assigns Kirk and the Enterprise to return to Gamma Trianguli 6. Twenty years earlier, Kirk and the Enterprise visited the place, and it was Kirk's recommendation to not return for twenty years. 
Kirk accepts the assignment and informs Scotty and crew of the course change. Scotty reports they will have the ship ready for the long trip. He says Upton will be wrapping up the last of the meteor damage repairs soon, and they will be on their way. Upton reports her air supply is stopped. Scotty is able to bring her in by remote control use of the repair drones. However, when he completes the airlock compression sequence and opens the inner door, he finds out, he finds out that despite the instruments giving him the all-clear, the outer door is not closed. Damn, yet another malfunction. After explosive decompression threatens to yank multiple of his people out into space, Scotty reaches the controls and closes the outer door. Upton is unconscious but alive. Scotty shakes his head and thinks a bit, then says he thinks he knows what's going on. Later, Scotty tells Bones that gremlins have gotten aboard the ship. McCoy thinks Scotty is crazy and calls Jim. When Jim arrives, Scotty makes his case, and it's a pretty good one. Bones and Kirk offer no counter-explanation, but won't accept that gremlins are responsible. Scotty is given three days off to rest and get back to normal. A day or two into the doctor-prescribed rest period, Scotty rushes out of his room to help with a fire that has broken out in sickbay. Gremlins again. The fire is out when Scotty arrives, but when McCoy sees him, he tells Scotty it's not gremlins that caused the fire. Spock and Kirk arrive. Kirk asks Spock to escort Scotty to his quarters. On the way, Scotty saves Spock from a hallway ceiling collapse. Spock continues to not accept Scotty's corpomite gremlin explanations. Alone in his quarters, Scotty begins to question his own sanity then stiffens his resolve that he will beat those, these gremlins. In a book, he reads about how gremlins started out actually helping man with his early technical inventions. The gremlins grew tired of man taking all the credit, so they started sabotaging the inventions. Scotty has an idea and starts making plans for a corbomite maneuver of his own. Later. Scotty waits until the night shift, when Kirk and the others that could ruin his plan are asleep. He talks Commander Kubak, who is manning the con, into shutting down the ship for 15 minutes, then starting her up again. During that period, Scotty makes his way down to photon torpedo tube number 9, where he places a running internal combustion engine in a photon torpedo casing. With the rest of the ship shut down, the small engine is the only active device. Eventually, it draws an incorporeal being to it that Scotty thinks is a gremlin. Scotty shuts the lid down on it and launches the torpedo to a nearby navigation buoy where it soft lands. Scotty says it will be happy messing with the buoy and leaving his Enterprise alone. The next day, Scotty is evasive about exactly what happened during the night shift. But at least so far, nothing has inexplicably broken down on the ship. Kirk does not push it, and Scotty is happy to be ridy, rid of the pesky bugger.
The ship arrives at Gamma Trianguli 6, where Kirk is looking forward to see how the planet's inhabitants have fared over the last two decades since their visit. The end. Or maybe to be continued, sort of. Pretty sure to be continued. Yeah. So, what'd you think? Um, gremlins. Gre- gremlins. Uh, I love Scotty-focused stories, but this one was kind of dumb. Yep. And, and may I say one thing? Sure, go ahead. So it seems like by the end of this issue, they're actually they're saying one of two things. They're either saying that there is such a thing as gremlins, and they are incorporeal in nature, or they're saying Scotty's insane. There was little creatures. Yeah. Yes. He's not crazy. However, I kind of like the idea of... You know, Star Trek is all, you know, you know what's going on. You know everything's going to be okay in the end. You know, everybody's pretty predictable in how they react to situations. The idea of taking a core character and making him insane, at least temporarily, I think is kind of interesting. At least it's something different. It would be different. Yeah. Oh, come on. Incorporeal gremlins? (laughs) Yeah, there was a lot of problems with that part. And so, I mean, okay, so let's say there was gremlins. Yeah. Which which I think that they're saying there was some. So let's say there was. Okay, but remember that Scotty was was hurt in the previous issue. Right. He was. He was, like, almost electrocuted or something. Well, he was electrocuted. He yeah. was completely knocked out. He had to be drug out of the Jeffries tube, revitalized. Yes. You know, it, 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 was, it was probably some major damage there. Right. So if there was a temporary knock on the head, quote, air quotes, that might make him behave a little odd, uh, that might be it. But go ahead. Well, and this will give you credit for for that thought. So the fact that he got rid of him by having a little engine that he stuck into a photon torpedo and launched out. Um, So he somehow is able to turn off everything Everything. in the ship. Life All, even life support. Yep. So, you know, air conditioning suddenly cuts out. It's going to get really stale and stuffy here in a second. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just cranks up this uh, this engine, and the creature's like, oh, i got to go to that. Not to all the working phasers that are sitting there on battery-powered. Oh, yep. Not to the communicators, the tricorders, all the other stuff that's not connected to the main power. Yep. Just this one engine. Good point. Good point. So, um, so yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. It did seem a little convenient that the the really weak plan that he came up with did work (laughs) so so maybe you're right maybe this was just his way of uh you know in his mind he fixed it so he won't have that uh that uh paranoia anymore yeah you know kind of like what they say about like exorcisms and things like that that it's you know people who think that they're they they're possessed so they need the the exorcism to as a placebo kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not saying that there's no such thing as exorcisms and things like that, but that is one of the the thoughts on, on that kind of uh, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe this was their way of kind of doing that same, same story that this is, maybe he is crazy. You're right. You've convinced <laughs> me. I've changed my mind. <laughs> Scotty's stark raving. I don't know. Sure is a lot of, 
you think he's really like causing all the problems because he's always there. Well, okay, so that's another good point. I mean, are these malfunctions really happening? It looks like they are. And right. how could they ha- how could they happen if there weren't gremlins? Well, maybe he's causing them. I don't know. If anybody could, it'd be Scotty. But would he really put um, that girl's life in jeopardy? I don't think so. I don't think so either. No. Plus, they have a throwaway line, which 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 I didn't even, you know, I, I, it's just so such an odd line that Kirk cut himself because his electro razor thing went on the fritz, oh. and and it's just like a throwaway line, but. Because earlier we see him shaving with, uh, you know, a, a disposable razor. Or, or <laughs> it looks like a big razor. Right. So, and then, then it gets hit by meteors. The ship gets hit by meteors and he, you know, has to leave. So you would think, oh, he must have cut himself during the meteor storm, you know, when he's right. having a blade up to his face. Right. But then he gives Scotty the reason as my electro razor went on the fritz. So then you're like, are, is this another thing where you're trying to... You have to piece the story together yourself. Oh, the reason why he was using the old timey razor was because his well, electro razors on the fritz. Yeah, and if, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I don't know. Sorry. No, I'm just saying. Okay. That, that he couldn't have done that. He couldn't have uh, put his electro razor on the fritz. Well, what if the thing that looks like a bic <laughs> disposable is actually an electro razor? Maybe, just but then, because it looks like a bic. In our time, doesn't mean it can't be an electro razor. Well, I mean, why didn't he say I did it when we were in the meteor meteor shower, as opposed to my electro razors on the fritz went crazy? Oh, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Who bloody knows? So, anyways, yeah. So let's say he's crazy, and this was his placebo to get rid of it. Yeah, it's Scotty's uh, version of uh, Fight Club. Still need to get around to seeing that movie. Oh, yeah. I know so, I know how it ends, so you won't spoil anything for me, but, no, but maybe our vast listening audience hasn't seen the end. Yeah. So Edward Norton is supposed to be the neophyte who gets involved uh, in Brad Pitt's uh, fight club. So it's some club where guys are getting back to basics, goodbye uh, political correctness, and beat the crap out of each other. And um, and the big twist at the end, ta-da! Brad Pitt doesn't exist, uh, or at least not physically. He's actually uh, Edward Norton. It's like some alternate personality within Edward Norton. He what? is, huh? Nothing. What you say? What? Yes, yes. So anyway, let's spoil other movies that people. <laughs> That people haven't seen. I thought you said you know, you did see the end. I didn't spoil something else. Uh, I you, knew the I... ending. I have not seen it. Oh, okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. Because yeah. I ruined Snowpiercer for you the other day. Yeah. Quite you did. by accident. What a jerk. <laughs> I didn't know. For everybody listening, don't ever ask Ken if he's seen a movie because he will just say, Yeah, can you believe <laughs> the ending? Blah blah blah. Well you <laughs> you're quoting character names and everything. I thought you knew. I, I thought you saw it. I didn't quote the, I quoted the movie name. Well, no, you said <laughs> red shirts and the, the cupcake. That was a different topic. Oh, well, sorry. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I, 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 I was thinking they were channeling uh, Fight Club. Although I, I'm sure Fight Club came up. Way later. That, that was made up way later. Yeah. It just reminded me of Fight Club. 
that aspect of Fight Club. Right. So my, my thing is, is that if if Scotty's right, if this really was a little critter that he got into the into the buoy or whatever, uh, shouldn't they warn somebody that the buoy is about to go a little crazy and not to go fix it? Because yeah. I'm thinking. The gremlin gets in there, he turns it off, or he makes it broadcast, you know, reruns of I Love Lucy. Who knows what this buoy's even supposed to do? Uh, and, that. and then somebody's going to be I like, oh, it. go check on buoy one, two, four, five. And then some poor is going to go out there, and then he's going to get infected with the gremlin, and then come back to a starbase, and then it all starts all over again. I completely agree. And you're thinking too much. And Scotty's like, psh, not my problem. They <laughs> won't believe me. I protect my ship. That's my main thing. <laughs> so, yeah, all right, I my, mean, a, a space buoy was probably generating some kind of a warning or something, something for navigation at the very least. Right. So, uh, you yeah, you don't you don't want that stuff to be messed with. Right. And by the way, why didn't he just launch it into the sun or something? It's like you want to get rid of it, get rid of it. Right. Anyway. Right. Now, mind you, that would be Scotty killing an incorporeal thing that you know might not even really exist but still if it's messing with stuff hey if you can't play nice with mankind we'll fix your butt we'll take care of you gremlins right anyway. and by the way i never knew now maybe they just totally made this up for the comic but i didn't know that origin story for gremlins oh about the yeah i didn't know that either. about them helping man early man and then they get finally sick of uh, <laughs> mankind taking all the credit. Right. That's no, kind of funny. I didn't it is kind of funny. Hmm. I just thought that, that during World War II, that was their explanation for things not working right. Exactly. That was just their general blame. <laughs> the, what they blamed when the airplanes didn't work right. Yeah. So I think it's funny that in the first issue we did today, we had a leprechaun in it. And ah. honest to goodness, Lucky Charms, leprechaun. leprechaun. Yeah, yeah. Second issue we did today, we had ghoulies and critters and that were members of a crew. Goblins. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then here we got gremlins. That's Honest right. Goodness, Corbinite gremlins. Corbamite. Corbamite gremlins. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that next. But yes, continue your point. No, that was just it. Just it's kind of funny that we kind of wacky together, and they all had little little guys in it. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Corbinite. Cor- yeah. What the heck does Corbamite? and gremlins have to do with each other. The only thing I can possibly see is that they're both made-up things. They're things that don't exist. Although this story says gremlins do. But Corbomite, Kirk made it up. Right. Um, Other than that, I see no connection between gremlins and Corbomite. And they actually are calling... There are times when they're referring to the gremlins as Corbomite gremlins, or in other cases, Corbomites. Exactly. They don't even. They drop the gremlin. They just call <laughs> it Corbomites. What? Anyway, yeah, very that was funny. Very odd. Yeah, I, when I when in the last issue it mentioned, you know, next issue Corbomite something, and I was like, oh, cool, they're gonna bring back Baylock and and that little guy in the Chanya. <laughs> but then they didn't. It was just gremlins. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, can we talk about the uh, the night crew real quick? Please. Wow, that is another motley crew right there. Well, motley, uh, watch yourself. They're they're 90% aliens. Yeah, they're all crazy looking aliens. So, the norm except for Spock, you know, the normal bridge is crew Spock, is, oh, 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 sorry. Go ahead. Start over again. Oh. 
So the normal bridge crew during the day, the day shift, uh, they're all humans. Ex- well, MRS, but she came later. But traditionally, it's Spock. Spock's the only alien. Everybody else is, is human. But in the night shift, it's flipped. And I thought I only saw one human. Right. And everybody else is an alien. So it's like, uh, yeah, we, we're one big happy federation. And uh, humans and aliens, we're all just equal. And you guys are going all on the night shift. Bye. <laughs> so we don't ever have to see or smell you. That's right. So separate but equal. There you go. Yeah, and these these guys are bizarre looking. Yes. I mean, you have one woman that maybe has maybe she's wearing goggles, maybe it's her eyes, I don't know, but they're they're gigantic eyes mm-hmm. and crazy yellow hair, but then aside from that, nobody else even looks remotely human anymore. No. No. We got we got uh Kubak who looks like some kind of lizard guy. Yeah. And, and we then- got yeah. yeah. Then, then we got the dog. Can we talk about the dog? Real oh. quick? There's uh some puppy navigator. Yes. Uh, and, and literally, a dog. Right. Oh, only, yeah. only from the angle you're looking at it, the dog's in the tunic, the Starfleet tunic, and who knows? Maybe he walks on his hind legs like Emrys or something. But you see him like from the the upper sh- upper chest up. Right. And I think you said this before. It's a dog. <laughs> you, you, you'd want to pat him if you walked up to him. <laughs> yeah, he looks like a little little spaniel or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, so no, Imrest looks feline, but she doesn't look like She looks cat like a cat. Head. She doesn't look like a cat head on a, hum- on a human body, where this guy looks like a dog head on a human body. <sighs> she looks feline. You can definitely see feline features, but she still well, looks... Okay, but... Her upper body looks pretty humanoid. Right. Her legs definitely look like a cat's legs. And, and right. definitely her feet and all that stuff. That's 100% feline. But, I mean, she's got fingers, right? Yep. Um, she wears yeah, those but, controls. But her head very much looks like uh, a cat. But not exactly like a cat. No, but pretty doggone close. Right. But you're right. This dog is 100% dog. <laughs> exactly. Now, if he would have looked a little werewolf-like or something like uh-huh. that, I'd totally buy it. Uh-huh. Yeah, but he looks like man's best friend. He looks like a specific breed. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's a female off-bridge officer, uh, pink in color, and, uh, you know, not quite human. You know, human's more of like a, like a beige, but she is pink, and her head kind of comes up into kind of a cone head. Uh, co- cone headish, um, not quite a point, but you know it, it it tapers as it goes up, and she looks like either a cone head or Zippy the pinhead. Actually, more like Zippy the pinhead. Right, but it's like segmented, so it almost looks like like a worm, like like her head's a, like a like earthworm gym type. Thing. Yeah, maybe uh, earthworm gym. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, anyway, yeah, very interesting uh, alien designs. Right. All right, and then my last comment is uh, this, like I said, this is about when I started reading them. So I maybe read a few issues after this before I got to this one. This was like one of my first back issues because mm-hmm. it was, you know, fairly recent. And uh, I remember reading this thinking that this woman was Bryce, the one that gets stuck out in the in the vacuum of space and mm-hmm. is 
on the cover. Uh, so it wasn't until I reread it now that I was like, oh, that's not Bryce at all. That's the woman from the last issue, which was kind of helping Scotty uh, fix that Jeffrey's tube thing. So, right. Uh, just want to throw that out there. You know, a little misconception right. I had for, you know, a couple decades. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Three decades. Oh, God, I'm old. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of the um, maybe it's, maybe it's the uh, penciler, uh, Tom Sutton, but I hate to say this, but many of his females look similar. I mean, that's she right. kind of looks like Bryce, although she does have more blonde. Isn't it more gold hair than than Bryce yeah, has br- kind of brown brown hair? She? Yeah, yeah. Wow, right. you're way off. Donovan, how could you think she's Bryce? I know, man. Now, now that I look closer. I know. Anyway. I was a young kid, man. You got to give me some credit. <laughs> Got me some slack, man. At least I was buying these issues. Can yeah. you say you did that? No. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not back when I was a kid. Right. No, you were buying the gold key ones. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, yes, you're right. The ones that are actually worth something, not these that aren't even worth the 75 cents that you paid to get them. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is like right when the the comic book craze started hitting, um, and you know the old ones were worth a lot, you know. So I remember buying these, thinking, "Oh, these these are investments. Uh huh. These are going to be worth something." Yeah, <laughs> they're not. Yeah, and now you can buy all of them, uh, you know, on a DVD from Amazon. So exactly for like what, what did we get ours for we got them when they were on sale uh, i've seen them go up for as high as 50 that um well i was that, it more like complete, 30 20 yeah, no, I, think we, like I think i saw them for like 20 at one point yeah uh what was it it's called the complete comic book collection by who who published it i got it right here um graphic images technology inc wow yeah, so everybody go if you don't have these books and you want to know what the heck we're talking about, yes. go get it. it. Has every Marvel, Gold Key, DC, uh, all of them except for IDW, really. Right. Uh, the only exception is there's two Marvel books that aren't on here: the uh, the X Men crossovers. Ah. But aside from that, every every book not published by IDW is in there. It's a hell of a deal. No, nah, it's great. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Love it. All right. What else you got on this one? Um, I just wanted to mention, since when does Kirk get his orders directly from the president of the Fracking Federation? About his next assignment? Yeah. Since the president wanted to make that, he wanted some screen time? Maybe? <laughs> right. Okay. So, so I guess they took this from one of the movies. Um, what, uh, uh, return home, voyage home or something? Because it, 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 is that what, because they're, they're drawing him like the president, I think, that was in one of the movies. Uh, right. Probably, probably that one. So I, I guess they're using it because it, it was used in, the character was brought up in, in the, one of the movies. But it's like, Kirk works for Starfleet. There's... A bunch of admirals above him, <laughs> you know, and um, there's lots of layers above him. And then Starfleet ultimately answers to the Federation. But since when does the, you know, I, I don't, I mean, you know, the president of the USS does not, or the US, does not directly <laughs> give 
captain's orders of where to put their ships, you know. But he could. Well, technically speaking, as the commander-in-chief, I suppose so, but that never happens. Anyway. But he, but he could. I'm just, I'm just asking. And then my yeah. other last thing, this is my last thing, uh, Gamma Trianguli 6. Okay. So they've mentioned it a bit. They mentioned it in the previous issue, this issue, this issue um, but I wasn't sure exactly which Taw's episode they were referring to. So, I mean, there were a few things that came to mind. Um, a couple places where they went to planets and they changed the situation on the planet, even though they're supposed to be non-interfering. Uh, and then they're coming back to visit whatever happened after basically Kirk and company changed how those people lived for long periods of time. Anyway, right. So looking up Gamma Trianguli 6, I discovered that, oh, this is talking about the apple. The episode titled The Apple. And right. the race involved, it's a humanoid race, called the Valens. Um, and they were controlled by this computer named Val, supposedly for 10,000 years, although I don't remember the year being mentioned in the original Taz episode. Maybe they did, I don't know. Uh, so Val looks kind of like, uh, at least outwardly, like this big um, serpent's head. It's like a like a like, like a statue kind of thing. So that's, like a cave entrance or something. It kind of looks like that because there's a mountain right behind it. Hmm. So it's very fearful, and the 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 Valens are, you know, kind of sort of uh, like 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 American Indians or something. They don't look like American Indians, but they're basically stone knives and bearskins, very low tech. Right. So um, Kirk and Company. Uh, the Enterprise was threatened to being pulled down from orbit, and they ended up having to destroy the computer that was uh, guiding these people's lives for ages. So, so this will be figuring out what 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 they screwed up. Well, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, the Valens were able to. Um, you know, adapt. Continue as a race. Well, yeah, adapt, organize, <laughs> hold elections or something, uh, or have a bloody thing to figure out who's going to be king, um, you know, Game of Thrones style. And then, um, you know, something had to happen. And that's the fascinating thing. Okay, so, well, I don't want to go. I I'm going to stop. <laughs> but... I, this is all going to be covered in the next issue. So you're really excited about this next issue. Well, I'm kind of interested to see what happens. That's awesome. Yeah. Because I don't remember... I mean, don't they often wrap things up at the end of episodes saying, oh, we'll have advisors come later and you know, right. we're leaving for now, but hey, everything's cool. You know, we got these advisors all ready to go to all these places. Yeah. Um, like missionaries or something. Never hear from it again. Exactly. Well, now we're going to actually hear what happened. But I had the impression here that um, they just said, leave them alone, let them figure it out. Because, again, they said, not for 20 years should we return. Well, I guess they said, they, yeah, 20 years. So it sounds like we, they did not – I've not seen this episode in ages, so I do not remember all the details. But it sounds like they, are, they did not have advisors coming. They just basically said, uh, we're going to take away – the thing that's been leading you people forever and you guys just figure things out okay thank you see you later bye right 
So um, the Apple was the episode that's kind of notorious for killing off a bunch of red shirts, right? Oh, yeah, I think you're right. And then that's... they did an episode of – not an episode, but they did a two-parter or at least maybe just one episode, one issue of the next of the ongoing uh-huh. where they had um, all the red shirts living at the end. Right? It was called like Red Shirt Tale or something like right, that. Right, right, right. Uh, with with – Cupcake and uh, company. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see that being revisited, but within the same continuity where all those red shirts died and if they bring that up at all. Right. Which I'm probably sure they won't. Maybe we'll just kill some more red shirts. They might. They might. <laughs> um, we'll see. Yeah. So uh, that was issue. Uh, it was issue 13 of the ongoing. Okay. We covered it way back in episode 108. Yeah, is that the one where Cupcake was hit with some darts or something? Yeah, but instead of dying, he wakes up in, in the hammock of that that uh, that chick. Right, right. So they kind of skipped over all the the, ish, the episode as far as, uh, you know, what, what happened with resolving the conflict with the, uh, the serpent and stuff like that. It was right. just Cupcake wakes up and how he... Gets back with the group or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, gets, gets out of the bed of this girl um, to join the, the rest of the crew. But so I'm going to go back and reread that, rewatch the Apple, and then read these next three books. Oh my we'll God. Cover next episode. Oh my gosh. We're going to be all over it. <laughs> yep. But I want to make sure I know what I'm talking about. I don't like, you know, because like I said, I'll admit it, the, the original series, I'm sometimes at a loss where, where you, you know everything. Well, not everything, but... Everything. Well. All right, what else you got? Anything? That's it. That's all, all right. I got on this one. So as we said, we're going to continue with uh, DC Comics Volume 1 next week with if with issues 43 through 45. Great. Looking forward to it. Cool. All right. Well, talk to everybody next week. Yep. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.